Don't write what other people want you to say. This is the Yoakum String Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sassen behind the scenes. Today, we have another Q&A episode with producer Marcus, where we talk about my thoughts on Goda, the importance of intent behind training, and why we perform movement of the days and the learning factor that goes behind it. I've been enjoying these podcasts with producer Marcus and just getting to have a conversation with somebody rather than interviewing and just kind of talking about some of the thought processes that we have in our worldview, but also training. And I look forward to continuing these podcasts and keeping them a staple in what we do, along with their interviewing guest and some of our roundtable stuff we want to expand this to. Before we hit the intro music, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about the Yoakum Strength Insider. The Yoakum Strength Insider is our online training platform where we help people become better movers. Being a better mover means moving forward from where you are, leveling up as a human, feeling better, becoming stronger, jumping higher, running faster, doing things you didn't know your body was capable of doing. That is our entire goal with the Insider. You approach this in a holistic fashion. Not only do you get access to our cutting edge programs and methods that we talk about a bunch on this podcast, you also gain access to our lifestyle guidelines. This 30-page PDF includes everything from what to eat, why to eat it, how much of it to eat, meditation habits, supplements to take, and just basic movement patterns you can perform throughout the day to continue to level up. This along with access to our app, which allows you to track your diet, lifting progress, weight progress, and have constant access to a Yoakum Strength Coach has allowed us to help hundreds of people become better movers. If you're interested in joining, use code PODCAST25 to get 25% off your first program. Can't wait to see you on the inside. Thank you guys for listening. Hit the intro music. Let's go. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite-level guests to unravel what high performance really is. All right, well, Marcus, welcome to the mic again. We're back on another Q&A-producer episode. I'm excited for you to be here. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we just got done lining out. So we do, uh, Marcus and I have our meetings about like where we want the podcast to go and kind of our outlines of the podcast. We kind of just finished up the outline for this. I'm pretty excited for this and kind of, we mentioned on the first one we were doing together, but kind of making these a staple of our podcasts, like episodes of just Q&A, you and I just talking and providing some value. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about it. It's going to be a little bit different from last season. And I think a little different is good. Um, I'm excited to get out there and get on the mic a little bit more. Gets my comfort level with uh, public speaking up a little bit higher. So I'm excited for it. Yeah. Uh, Is there anything you've been up to this week? You know, I've been working a lot on school. So I'm still a senior at the U right now. And right now I'm taking 23 credits. So it's quite a a workload. It is a grind. And then on top of that, I'm producing uh, three different podcasts, which has been a grind on top of a grind. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, It's been a very hectic week for sure. So we've had a lot of different tests. We've had a lot of different um, photo shoots has been a big thing this week. So I've been editing a lot of photos and that's been a lot of fun. But uh, in between it all, I've been really trying to find a way to read a lot. And uh, the way I do that is through audiobooks. That's kind of my vice when it comes to reading. And uh, I've just been reading a lot. So that's what I've been up to. I like that. And before, I kind of want to dive into your reading in a little bit. But the 
Uh, I think what people don't know about you is your cameraman. Like you, oh, you take yeah. some sweet <laughs> photos and that's how like we originally met each other. Um, I posted a job linking for a producer and some content creation. And when the first interview we had at, I think it was a Starbucks or a caribou, you brought these like awesome nature photos and it was like so cool to see. And it was like, you were kind of quiet during the interview, but when you got to talk about those photos, you're like, oh, this, this is his passion. This is what gets him fired up during that. Absolutely. And I was really nervous for that day too. I remember very vividly, um, I went to Walgreens and I ended up printing those pictures that day and I got a little portfolio. So I looked professional. Um, and the reason that I applied in the first place was just because I, at the time was coming back from the university of Southern Maine. And I knew that I wanted to change my life a little bit, um, in a small way. And the only job that was available to me at the time was my old high school job, which was working at a bagel shop. And while the money was decent, it wasn't the atmosphere that I wanted to be around forever. And it was a high school job. And now I'm in college. I wanted to do something different. And I figured if I'm not going to shoot my shot doing what I want to do now, I never will. And so I made the executive decision to hop on Indeed and then just look up video production jobs in Minneapolis. And I reached out to every single person that I could possibly find on there. And I sent my resume every which way. And you were the first person to get back to me. And so I was really excited for that interview. I was very nervous for that interview. Um, and I wasn't sure how to act. Um, video production was never a field that I was super confident in. I had only done one class up until that point. And so once we sat down at that Starbucks and uh, you, know, you and I were talking, I, I was thinking to myself, all right, what am I doing? Here I am, video producing, trying to at least. And uh, I'll be producing for a gym. And I'm not really confident with a lot of the, the gym physical training stuff, but I am really confident with a camera. And so once I was able to whip out those pictures and be like, this is what I do. And this is how I do it really well. Um, I felt right in the pocket and I felt like I knew exactly what I was doing and I had control of the situation at that point. So cameras have been a big part of my life for a very long time, as long as I can remember. Well, that was the the thing too, is when we had met the first time, you had all the nature pictures and you were, you even admitted you're like, I, I haven't done a ton of like in-person stuff, like pictures yeah. of people. And that's, that's one of the coolest things is like you, you just hopped on board and I was like, I just liked your attitude. I'm like this, this kid, like he's, he's full go. He's ready to do it. He admits his weaknesses and he said he's willing to grow, grow from it. And I, I want to like send them to like sh show the people that are listening to this podcast to go look at Andrew and Sarah, some of the photos you've taken of him. Cause you just make him look like a model. Andrew's a good looking guy, but some of the pictures you've taken, I'm like, damn, Marcus, like you are balling out with the camera right now. I've been absolutely enjoying my camera. So I've upgraded it since the, the first camera that I had um, with that interview. Um, I had a, a Nikon D3500, which is an entry-level ca uh, camera. It's very similar to the Canon Rebel series, if anybody has heard of that. And uh, I upgraded from that Nikon and I bought myself a, a more professional grade camera, which is the Canon EOS R. And with that, it came a lot of challenges in terms of finding lenses and figuring out what I was comfortable with and how I was using photography now. Um, because you're right. I, I used to just do landscape. That was my thing. I really enjoyed it. I would take a lot of micro and macro shots. Um, so I would get up really close to flowers and I'd be like, wow. Or I'd get to a, a mountain landscape and take a nice picture. One of my favorites is when I was in Acadia, uh, it was a really foggy day and uh, we were up on top of a, one of the mountains over there and it was super foggy. You can't see through it. And I, I sat on the road, got really close to the road and it looks like there's a mountain on the left side of the frame the road is going down and it's kind of curving and then there's nothing but fog. And I had edited it in a way that made it look very eerie, very kind of creepy. And, uh, 
I really like setting atmospheric pictures like that. That's what I felt really comfortable with at the time. And now uh, it's changed a lot. I haven't actually taken a lot of landscape photos in a long time. I think the last one that I did was a picture of the Minneapolis skyline back in November. Um, but traditionally now I've, I've been doing a lot of portraits. So it's been great seeing how I've evolved as a portrait photographer because the things I used to look for in nature shots are very different from what I look for now. Yeah. And the, the yeah. same thing is it's almost like you're always trying to tell the story. Like, and that's what I look at through everybody's like whatever your occupation is, is like you're trying to tell a story through your occupation. Through the gym, I'm trying to tell a story. Through podcasting, you're trying to tell a story. Through camera, you're like you're trying to tell the story. And that's where I think it's like, as long as you're trying to tell a story, the skill set and whatever your tool is, it really doesn't matter. And it's just as many tools as you can have to tell your story and to tell it better, the better for you. I absolutely agree. I, one of my favorite pictures that tells a big story to me is I, it was a picture that I took at Lake Harriet and it's a, a picture of a man who was walking and I don't know if he was having a rough day. I don't know what was going on, but he had his head down and he was just kind of walking, you know, head down, walking straight. And these two ducks flew in on the lake behind him and they lined up perfectly. And so I got a picture of like one duck uh, on the left side of the frame, him walking in the middle and then the right duck on the right side of the frame. And then I made it black and white and I made it kind of grainy and old school. And to me, that just told a story about like a guy maybe down on his luck, or maybe he was pondering something really heavy. And for some reason, that photo just spoke to me. I don't know exactly the story that it was trying to tell, but it was the story's there for sure. And so when I shared it on Instagram, I was really happy to. It's, those are the best pictures to share for sure, just because I want to share those stories, even if it's interpreted in a different way than I intend. Yeah, I, I freaking love that. I geek out about that all the time. Uh, you, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you had been reading this past week. Have you been reading anything interesting? I've been reading a lot this week. Um, so I read this book called uh, And Then There Were None, which is by Agatha Christie. It came out in the 1930s and it was very short, very sweet. I read it in one sitting and uh, it's a murder mystery and I've never read a, a murder mystery by Agatha Christie. And so I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and for me, I'm a fictional reader. I, I like reading those a lot. And uh, I like to take breaks in between books in a series. So whenever I get into uh, a series, I need to just take a break and I'll do something in a completely different genre. So what I've been trying to do lately is I've been reading the Game of Thrones series. And oh. after every book, um, those books are rather big. Um, and at least for me, uh, the first one, I believe is only like 700 pages. Isn't so bad. By the third one, you get up to 1200 pages. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, I think is 1300 pages. Um, don't quote me on that, but they're around that. Um, they're big books books. And so I like to take a break because once you get through them, it's hard to just jump into the next one. Uh, and so I've been taking breaks. And one of the things I've been doing is reading nonfiction books along the way. Uh, and nonfiction books and documentaries in general are something that I've always struggled with just as a, a viewer, as part of an audience. Um, if, if the story's already been told, I, I just typically don't enjoy reading about it, especially if it's a like a long book. Um, and back in November, I read a book from Barack Obama. It was his promised, a promised land. And that was a, another big book, but I read that in between game of Thrones three and four. And, uh, after I finished that, I was thinking, you know, I, sh I should try to reach out and watch more documentaries, read more nonfiction books. Cause there's a lot of stories that while you might think, you know, them on the surface, you don't really know everything that's happening, especially behind the scenes. Um, and, and so reading game of Thrones has been a lot of fun just cause it's, it's fun leisure, but it's been really interesting to see how things are done behind the scenes and reading those nonfiction books. Yeah. And you talked about the way before we even started hopping on the podcast. And this is why I wanted to dive into Game of Thrones with you. You said you had watched a documentary that kind of got you to geek out about some of these mm -hmm. things. Absolutely. So I watched this book. It was called, or not, I didn't watch the book. Oh my gosh. Um, I watched this documentary and it was called uh, Game of Thrones, The Last Watch. And it's a two hour documentary on HBO about the last season of Game of Thrones and specifically about how they shot it. And I was fascinated by it, um, mainly because they barely talk about the director or any of the actors, um, any of that kind of 
uh, a thing, not nothing that you would see on camera during the regular series. You basically don't see it in this documentary. And I found that really exciting. You get to see uh, the season kind of grow and see it go from nothing into its completion. Um, and you see that through the eyes of a few different people, but one of them is a uh, makeup artist and her husband. The other one is an extra on the set and he's just like having a great time. And he was an extra on every season, which was really cool to hear his story and see uh, how the series has progressed through his eyes. Um, another one was a location manager. Uh, there was a lot of people that are behind the scenes that, especially in TV and movies, that you might not even be aware of. Um, and watching this, I felt really attached to this because me as a producer, that's kind of how I feel most of the time is I'm behind the scenes. I like being behind the scenes and I like taking a project that might seem rather large in scope. So I've done nothing like Game of Thrones, which is one of the biggest TV shows ever. But um, you know, whenever I have a project that I'm super passionate about, I love to surround myself with a team that's also super passionate about it. And that's something that I saw in that documentary was it didn't matter if you were getting um, the most screen time. It didn't matter if you were the star actor or if you were just an extra. Uh, being a part of the show really gave them a sense of purpose and it gave them just a drive. And it was a drive that I long for. It's something that keeps me going when I edit and that's something that I use. Um, and so it made me really excited for the future and looking ahead to see, all right, if where I am now is a producer behind three podcasts, but in the future, I could still be producing, but maybe I could be doing bigger projects. Maybe these podcasts will become bigger projects. And so I'm really excited to see where the future brings, but that, that documentary was it's something that I, I thought going in was going to be kind of boring. Um, cause while I like game of Thrones a lot, it, you can only take so much, you know, and, uh, watching a two hour documentary didn't seem like my cup of tea, but once I sat down and started listening to these people's story and, and seeing their drive, seeing how they were like, all right, let's sit down and let's talk about like story ideas. Um, and one of the big challenges they had for season eight of game of Thrones was they didn't have any book material. So the books finish on book five. Um, and there's two more books that are supposed to come out, but they haven't come out yet. And, uh, the show had to continue on past those books to finish the, the show. Um, and so it was interesting because they sat down and they were discussing why they made certain decisions the way they did. Um, they talked about like set design and they were talking about all the intricacies that go in and out of filming. Um, and most of the things that happen, happen in pre-production, which is something that I knew, but it's crazy to see the amount of detail, the amount of passion, the amount of hard work that goes into those shows. Yeah, and that's even something as small as like, and I, you don't want to make it sound weak, but like as small as our podcast, like the amount of small things that goes behind like what you and I are doing and especially figuring that out from the beginning. That's what I tell so many people is like Mark, Marcus is what makes the show like entirely run. Like he makes us sound smart. He cuts out all of the pauses. He cuts out any errors we have in our, like we'd send it over and he makes it. And that's where I don't think a lot of people realize like they listen to this piece of art, which is what I like was what we're trying to produce is our piece of art in the sports performance realm. They don't realize how much goes into that, like how many small things go into it, how much editing goes into it, how you and I are in constant communication about like when the social posts get done, how they get done, the, the, the little switches that we do, switching the colors from red to white, you know, like doing small things like that. I think people look, get, get the finished product and like, oh, this is awesome. This is cool. But they, 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 like you said, they miss the, the journey that gets there. That is every single podcast, which I think you and I get to embrace fully. And that journey is something that I think is really fun and really special. And honestly, it's not about the end product. At the end of the day, at the end of the week, we produce a podcast. It doesn't matter if it's the best thing in the world or if it's a project that could have been worked on a little bit better. But at 
at least we spent the time working together, figuring out what went into it. Um, you do all the work of getting the guests and getting people on the show. I do everything behind the scenes when it comes to editing and like the, the sound effects. I try to help out with that and boosting those or and ducking those, which I've been trying to do a little bit more recently. Um, but there, there's a lot that goes into the editing process and the journey each week. And it's been really fun just to see us grow each week and see the process kind of change each week. And that's what I really enjoy. It's not necessarily going back and listening to an episode and being like, wow, I did that. Even though that is fun occasionally, it's, it's really thinking back on, man, I remember that time that I was sitting down and I was stressing because I had this podcast that was due Monday and here we are, we haven't recorded yet or whatever the case may be, where all those, all those stresses. And it's like, all right, I really enjoy that thrill of like being behind the scenes, figuring out the puzzle. It's just a giant puzzle. Boom. And with that, you want to get into the question and answers and main point of the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So let's someone, do it. Yeah, for sure. So we have a few different questions here. The first one is going to be, uh, what are your thoughts on Goda? Yeah. So this is one that Marcus picked out a couple of the, the questions that we had from Instagram DMs and a couple of conversations we've had in the past week. And this was an interesting one because it was a young strength coach that asked it. Uh, and I don't know if he asked it so much as he told me to go check them out. And I sent back only because one of the one of the guys that I work out with every day continually says only Sith speak in absolutes. Like he he says the Star Wars phrase all the time, and I finally got to use it. So I sent the 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 video of uh, only Sith speak in absolutes or deal in absolutes, and I sent that to the guy back, and I'm, I I said something like anybody that pretends to have all the answers, anybody that pretends to have the absolute truth, like you should run from that. And I, I approached him in the sense of, I'm not a go to hater. I, I don't hate any methods. I, I, I try to take truths from everything. I, there's truths in the back of a back of a cereal box if you're looking for one. Like if, you, if you're looking for a truth there, you can find it and you can grab pieces of truth. The trouble with a system like Goda, trouble with a system like. Um, even West side, like there's so many systems out there is when somebody gets locked into that system, they can't see anything else because they believe they have the answers to everything. Uh, West side is the answer to everything. Goda is the answer to everything. And in my world, that's, that's never the truth. Like we, we, and I wrote it in the, like, there are no experts approach article that I wrote for just fly is like, we are all idiotic apes and we're all just trying to pretend like we have all the answers when we really don't like, if we had all the answers, there would be one system. There, there would be one system, everybody would figure it out and we'd all go forward with that. But there's millions of systems. There's thousands of sets and rep schemes. There's thousands of coaches out there all preaching the right way, the wrong way. And there's truths in all of it. That's why they're preaching it. That's why they believe in it so much. But when you get stuck into a system like that, you, you have no way out. And that's what I tried to explain to the, um, the I think he was a, he's a high schooler that, that was kind of locked in this, this go to mindset. And I sent him, um, I saw it on Twitter, but it was like smart people learn from everything. Stupid people already have the answers. Um, and I sent him that and he, in, in his defense, he, he calmed down a little bit because he, he started off, well, that's stupid. That's stupid. Go to has the answers. And he was pretty aggressive. And I just like, I ended the conversation. I'm like, I, if you want to have a conversation, I'll have the conversation, but I will not argue. I will not waste my time on talking about sets, reps and systems. Like there's bigger things in the world to argue about. And in his defense, he did come back. He had some really good point, not really good points. He had, um, he read the article that I sent him and he kind of took all that and digested. And he's like, all right, I can see where you're coming from. Uh, and he brought up a good point of he's going to go through the go to system so he can grab the truths from the grow to system. And then he's going to go through other systems. And as long as you're approaching it in that way and grabbing truths from pieces and not just swearing by something, I think that's 
I think that's the way to go. And this is where I want to take it a little bit to uh, a little bit of the learning aspect of it, because we talk about like smart people learn from everything. Um, and I, I've been thinking about this a lot is in college, like I, I feel like now I learn more in a week than I did in my entire college career. And I don't know if that's so much contents of like, I'm reading better content now as uh, I'm approaching it in that way of I can learn from everything now. And if there's anything a young strength coach can take from the this like podcast ever is that you can learn from literally everything. It's when you think you have the answers and you stop learning that you really, really get screwed. And that's where I think in college, you get protected a little bit because you can get these good grades. A lot of times you have teachers that are teaching a a system, whether they know it or not, but they're teaching a system, they're teaching from a textbook. And if, if it is a textbook, most textbooks pretend to have the answer. Uh, and it kind of just locks down your brain and you, you don't learn a ton or you just learn the same thing over and over and over and over again. So I encourage people to embrace this learning mindset. Uh, smart people can learn from anything. You, you can literally learn from anything. Keep that learning mindset. Stupid people already have the answer. So that's my thoughts on Goda, even though I don't I didn't go into Goda at all. I think it's a little bit broader and deeper than that. For sure. I like what you said about you're learning more now than you were in college. Cause I feel the same way, like being a senior um, right now, I'm just going through the motions, you know, and it, it can be exhausting because you think that you're supposed to be learning. There's things that I want to be learning that I just feel like I don't have the time for. Right. And I, I'd rather just get that a and be done with it than to like put the time and effort in and just fully learn all the material that's been presented to me. Um, Cause you're right. I think a lot of teachers do cheat out of the system. Um, or they teach the system instead of like trying to break that box and break that barrier. Um, and something that I've really learned is there's a, there's a big aspect of life about learning through experience and learning by doing, and you just have to have that open mindset and the intent of learning. So that leads me to ask in terms of intent, what's the importance of it when it comes to strength training? Damn, Mr. Host, that was a smooth transition. A plus for you, Marcus. That was good. The, the importance of intent when it comes to training. This was another question that I got in the DMs this week. And I actually found kind of the way I wanted to answer this today. Um, there, was a, there was a picture circulating uh, on the internet of these. It was like a, a tribe of warriors where their tradition is the person that can jump the highest gets his choice of mates or it's like the, the, the woman picks the man that jumps the highest as their husband. So like whoever jumps the highest gets the best mate. That that's your goal. And this made me think th these guys were all like springy, like they were jumping out of the roof freak. What would be freak athletes. And it got my mind thinking of the intents behind that. Like if they don't jump high, if they don't get to marry who they want to marry, like they're going to get stuck with somebody as bad as that sounds. They're going to get stuck with somebody they don't. So they, their intent is through the roof. Like a lot, I'm guarantee their excuses went out the window. I guarantee everything else kind of dwindles away. And their intent behind training is I am going to jump as high as I physically can. And I'm going to break all of the barriers so I can marry whoever I want to marry. And that's where it's, how, how can we transition that to our training? How can, how can we kind of get our athletes? And obviously you are not going to change our whole culture. Like no, it's never going to be the person that can jump the highest is going to get the Mary who, although NBA players probably get their pick of mates more than a non NBA player, just because they're, they're athletic. But how can we get that 
intent to shift in our athlete's head. There was another one where it was like John Randall. It, they showed John Randall doing a drill. John Randall's a I'm pretty, Viking. He was, I'm pretty sure he's a hall of famer now, uh, defense alignment. He was doing this drill. The drill itself was kind of crappy, but he was doing it. And then right after he was doing it, a practice player squad, a practice squad player was doing it. And when he was doing it, he was throwing everything into it. He was making like, he just doing all the, like, it was like, Oh, 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 every time he hit the bag. And when the practice player guy went through it, he kind of just went through the motions. And again, we, we argue, but we can argue about that drill all day we want. I wouldn't agree with that drill. I want to implement that drill. But what's your intent behind the drill? If you can get your athletes to approach that drill, like John Randall approached that drill, if you can get that athlete to approach jumping, like these warriors, these trap warriors approach jumping, then do the sets and reps, do they really matter as much as we talk about? Or is it more so the belief in the sets and reps, the belief in the drill, the belief in the system and what we're doing? And that's where it's, educating the athletes in one part, I think is huge. The more I educate my athletes on why we're doing what we're doing and what we're doing, the better, the, the better buy-in it's now it's no longer just playing spike ball. Although sometimes we are just playing spike ball. There's a deeper reasoning. It's positioning. There's warm up. there's perception reaction. There's these type of things. And you start to get our athletes to think in a different way and they get the buy-in into a different way. And now it's the effort is through the roof in a lot of these games and a lot of these things that we're doing because you get their belief systems flying. They, they, now they're not competing for a wife, but they're, they're competing for something. They're, they're, they're training for something. And I think a lot of times in the Twitter strength conditioning world, like you, you, you have all these arguments about the drills and you have all these arguments about the set and reps. And I get it. It's like, there are better drills than other drills. There are better sets and reps than other drills. But if you're a good strength coach, you already know that. Why are you arguing in that sense? Why are we not now approaching it in a different way? Why are we not approaching it in a way of building intent behind our systems, building a belief behind our systems and then approaching it in that sense. So that's kind of my thought process on intents behind training. And everything has a purpose for sure. That's kind of like a big message that I heard you talking about over there. Um, and so speaking of purpose, we do like movements of the day on Instagram. And I know that I put forth like the, the social media posts for this podcast. I know that we do other social media posts as well, but the movement of the day is something that I've never quite understood. So what's the point of it? Yeah. The movements of the day, those, these are actually one of my new favorite things. Uh, we've been doing them for a while, uh, to try and create a little bit of a learning state, create a little bit of not flow, but an athlete engagement mentally, uh, learning a new skill. Andrew Hoverman talks about on his podcast, how errors are the key to enter a learning state. And he talks about how this learning state is a state. It's not just a moment. And once you enter this learning state, everything else past that learning state is learned easier and it kind of stays in there. So we've implemented the movement of the days there to create something where they have to learn. They have to learn a new skill. They have to approach something where they're mentally engaged because they haven't done it before. If it's uh, one of the ones that we've been doing that I sent out to a couple of strength coaches uh, is a handstand front roll. So you're in a handstand and you're rolling, your shoulder rolling the way your head is pointing. So it's not like a barrel roll backwards, like the easy way, but it's, it, you're up into a handstand and you barrel roll front wise. I'll, there's a video on, on Instagram anyways, but it, it's kind of a tough movement, but the engagement behind that, the learning process of, all right, what's my body doing in this moment? What am I, what's happening here? And we, we spend five to 10 minutes on these drills. One, you know, the athletes are laughing at each other because everybody's eating shit and like not doing it right. Two, we are entering this learning state. Three, once they get the skill down, and this is something that's been really cool, is 
it helps the culture of the room. So now somebody is learning that you can physically see them learning. And now somebody else is like, ah, they can do it now. I can learn that skill. If I can learn that skill, what else can I learn? If I can create addicts of learning, like we talked about earlier, like now they're addicted to learning. They're addicted to learning movements. They're addicted to seeing what their body can do. How far can we push that? How can we transition that to their sport? All right. So now we can learn new skills on the field of sport. Now we can learn new skills here. And now they're addicted to it. And that's why the coolest thing to me is they're addicted to learning new skill sets. And once you have that, it's super powerful. It makes everything else easy. And it, it starts with literally five to 10 minutes a day of we're going to do this. We're going to teach them how to do a cartwheel. All right. They can do a cartwheel. We're going to teach them how to do a front handspring. All right. We're going to teach them how to front handspring. Now it's going to be something fancy and you just continue on and super easy. And the, the other point that I want to talk about too, is we, 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 that's the start of our days. So we started off with that movement of the day and we try to create these learners and we tie it up. So you, you kind of have this, you bring them in, you bring them into this learning state and then you have your session. And the, the session is what you actually want them to keep. Maybe it's force production for that day. Maybe it's something in their sport that we're actually working on, but then the, this is like the, the kind of meat and potatoes part of their day. And then there needs to be a cap of the day. And I think this is where we miss it. A lot of times in training is there's no cap to their training. There's no ending to that moment. There's no connection from the beginning to the middle to the end. It's just kind of like, all right, the athlete doesn't know where he is. And this is where I think, and Andrew Humberman talks about a non-sleep deep rest state to end, to increase learning. I don't know if you said 200%, but he talks about a study that if you enter non-sleep deep rest, your learning increases. The, the, your learning retention increases of skills of movement patterns of anything. So one, you have that benefit. And two, now we, we meditate at the end of sessions, one, to give the athlete a mental tool to be able to use. So when their anxiety is high in sport, when their anxiety is high throughout the day, when they're just not paying attention throughout the day, now they have that tool of meditation to use. Two, we're increasing the learning state like Andrew Huberman talked about. And three, now we have a cap to our training session. We have something that ends the training session and now the athlete knows this is the start, this is the entry, this is the trigger point to learning. We have the meat and potatoes, now we have the end. Now our training session's over, we can go on with the rest of our day and be our humans rather than continuing in that heightened state of awareness of, of kind of stress that training brings you into. Gotcha, and how do you pick out like some of those exercises? So you mentioned like the, the barrel roll, um, like just all of those movements in general, how do you personally pick out which movements they're going to learn that day? Yeah. And I think that depends on what I'm interested in the day. Like maybe sometimes it's seeing something cool. A lot of times it's my own training. It's like, Ooh, I want to see if I can do this. Oh, I got it. All right. And that's a cool thing with me. It's like, I'm not a very good athlete naturally. So if I can learn how to do it, I know it's not too advanced for any of my athletes. And that's also a frustrating thing about being me is it'll take me that front handspring, it took me like two months to learn how to do a front handspring. And I taught every single one of my athletes, high schoolers, college, males and females. I taught them all how to do it within a week. It was so frustrating. I, it took me two months to learn how to do this movement. I was eating shit for two months and they were able to learn it within a week. So those are the two things. That's kind of how I pick it is I, maybe I see something, but a lot of times it's just what I'm interested in that day for movement. Gotcha. And then thinking about things that we like learning about things that we want to pursue and things that we want to kind of learn from and then put into action that kind of leads me into like what's going on currently with like you and I just in like our daily lives. Um, what are some things that you're hoping to like learn in the upcoming weeks, even next week? Yeah. So I've been, we, we talked a little bit about like what you're reading. I, I can talk about a little bit of, I'm finishing up the book, the third plate right now, which is a really cool book. Um, 
It talks about the kind of na- natural approach to eating and like a farm to restaurant or farm to mouth approach to eating. And one of the cool things to talk about in there is we, we try to solve the problems of, let's say, weeds are growing in a field. We try to pro- solve the problem of weeds growing in a field and messing up our crops by spraying the weeds rather than attacking the source of why the weeds are coming. And this is the book. I didn't know this. I come from a farming community, but I know really nothing about farming because I've never farmed before. And it dives pretty deep into the science behind farming of the, the if the soil is healthy, it, the weeds won't come. And the, the, the weeds attack and some of the diseases attack weak crops and weak crops come from weak soil and the weak soil happens because we are over farming and not rotating our crops in the best way. And we're just not being natural about it. And it's just a super interesting book of how we attack our problems. We're attacking it, the easy solution of trying to get rid of the symptom rather than attacking the source of the symptom. And I think you can draw that back to any point of your life is many times we attack the symptom. Uh, if you want to just go strength training, your elbow's bugging you, you're going to attack the elbow. It's like, well, all right, why is that elbow bugging you? Like, what's the source of that elbow? You can fix that little piece. But Dr. Tommy John talks about that. The little piece is just your body telling you something's wrong. I'm going to tell you something's wrong. And you're going to you're gonna ice or you do something silly with your elbow and get rid of that symptom. Maybe take a bunch of ibuprofen and get rid of the symptoms rather than attacking the source of the symptoms. Uh, sorry, that was a long winded answer for what I'm reading now, but expanding that I am freaking pumped for this week because Jordan Peterson is dropping his book in like two or three days and I got the pre-order set. It's going to be here as soon as it drops and I'm beyond pumped for that book. Gotcha. And you read Jordan Peterson's other book too. It's like the 12 rules. Yep. 12 rules for life. 12. All right. What's the new one called? Beyond meeting beyond meaning 12 more rules for life. Gotcha. And I know you personally really like Jordan Peterson. I haven't been able to read anything, but I've seen a few YouTube videos of him just giving speeches and talking. Um, what are some of your favorite takeaways just in general from Jordan Peterson? Oh, that's, uh, yeah, I there's been, a lot, but <laughs> I've been geeking out about Jordan Peterson. Um, just because the book is coming up. So I've been listening to his lectures and it was actually something today that he brought up. Um, talks about the power of network. Uh, and this was something cool. Uh, so He's a psychologist. He works, he's worked with suicidal patients before, and he talked about how suicidal patients will look at something, look at their lives, me in a way of like, they don't matter. Like they're one speck of dust in the immense universe, one tiny small person, like it wouldn't matter if they went away. And the really cool point he brought up is you're two people away from a billion people, from a billion, from affecting a billion people. And his math was most people, and then he said, this is on the low end too. Most people affect a thousand people within their lifetime, have a thousand person network of people they directly affect. Like they are changing their life either for good or bad, you pick, but you are affecting a thousand people. You expand that out. Those thousand people are affecting a thousand more, which is a million. And those thousand people or those million are affecting a thousand a piece, which puts you at a billion people. So you're two people away from affecting a billion people. And if, if you want to change the world for a better, if you want to feel like, you matter. Like those thousand people you affect eventually affect a billion. And that that's a really, really cool mindset of the power network and the people you surround yourself with. And the power of yourself, honestly, in your network is every single thing that you do has the potential to affect a billion people. 
Yeah, I definitely want to expand on that just a little bit. I personally take a lot of communication classes because I'm a communications major. And something that we talk about a lot, especially in interpersonal communication, is the importance of networking and the importance of being there for the people around you. Because you never know who those people are going to become or who they already are. And I think it's something that's super interesting. Um, Jordan Peterson, like I said, is somebody that I haven't had the opportunity to read a lot from. I've just seen a few YouTube videos. But that whole mentality of you're only two people away from like knowing a billion people. Um, it's such a strong, like deep rooted communication theory as well. Um, and it affects everybody on such a minimalistic scale at first. Like it's not something that you're going to notice right off the bat. It's it's when you start really thinking about, okay, I know so-and-so who knows so-and-so. And then, then you're always close to some kind of a connection. And I think that's really fascinating. It's something that I never really gave much thought to until I was taking a communications class. And we started talking about just how you're, two steps away. I think it's two connections away from like one of your best connections that you haven't like yet reached out to. Um, I think that's what one of the textbooks kind of talks about a little bit. And I, I was giving that some thought a little bit and it's just really crazy to think about it in that way. You know, every time I go into a classroom, everybody there, I might not know super well, but as long as I put my best foot forward, they at least know me. And if they ever reach out, I could say, oh yeah, I know, you know, I know Austin Yoakum or I know whoever, uh, and they could help you out. And that might help them out a lot. I think that's just really an interesting concept when it comes to communication in general. Yeah. And looking at, I think we could draw this back and even look at your situation too. Like personally, uh, you like now you're producing three or four podcasts and that came from the one meeting, drawing it way back to the beginning of what we talked about in this podcast, drawing it like you just decided to show up to that interview process where you met me and I have a crazy ass group of friends that you eventually got connected to and now you're connected with the back pocket boys and that group of people. And that group of people is like expanding even more. So now it's like connected you yourself because you made the decision one day to show up to a random interview that you didn't know the person, you didn't know the job, you've never done any gym work, you showed up and now you're connected to this immense network of people. It's really crazy when you think about it like that. You know, I started out not knowing much, just one video production class, went out on a whim, did it. Um, and yeah, knowing you, I got to meet the Back Pocket Boys. And from there, I wasn't sure what that would be. You know, I wasn't sure if that was going to be a small time thing, if it was going to be like a one and done podcast thing. Uh, I'm really glad where I'm at now, especially. But yeah, just getting those connections, meeting people, not being afraid to reach out and say hi, not being afraid to kind of put your best foot forward. Um, especially when it comes to jobs. You know, this is something that I really wanted to do as a producer, right? I knew I wanted to be in video production and it's been really cool going and in looking at the, the progress of being nervous to step into a Starbucks <laughs> to uh, recently my last social media post that I, I gave for straight candid that I made, it was a TikTok, and that has over 600,000 views. And if I, you would have told me two years ago that I would have, or I would have created a TikTok that was going to have 600,000 views, I would have laughed. Um, but here we are. And so it's just kind of crazy to think if you put your best foot forward, if you talk to the people around you, you're going to go places, just follow, follow whatever your, your gut's telling you to do. Hell yeah. That's a, that's a kick-ass way to end this podcast. This was smooth. This is great. I'm looking forward to doing this again with you, Marcus. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. Thanks so much for having me. Boom. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.